Mind Crime Liberty Show with me, Swithin Dobson, and him, Tim Patton. Today we discuss, is Moldberg or Mises right about banking? Tim. Moldberg uh, gets to me, describes in a descriptive way, the heart of the U.S. financial system. And it's because the United States is the hegemon, thereby the world financial system, uh, especially since Bretton Woods, especially since in here in the West. Um, so Mobo wrote two great um, articles for, on his blog, Unqualified Reservations, um, and the, the articles are titled um, The Mazesian Explanation of the Financial Crisis, as well as a longer thing, Maturity Transformation. Um, so Moldbug, Moldbug has this great analogy in his uh, description of this. Um, and I think one of the things I like about Moldbug is in a sort of amoral way, he explains how the uh, U.S., again, thereby the world, financial system works um, and, and the, sort of the, the key aspects of it. Um, so this is this is his analogy. Um, and I was just going to discuss that the word banking, finance, and uh, mortgage and money and monetary, they're in a way, and I think you'll get into this, um, in a way are all to a certain extent synonyms. And actually he himself later in one of his two articles we're going to discuss today actually just says we should just unify them all. Um, um, so so this is his this is analogy. A banking system is like a nuclear reactor, a complicated piece of engineering. If it's engineered right, it works 100% of the time. If it's engineered wrong, it works 99.99% of the time. And the other 0.01%, it coats the entire area in radioactive shonium. Um, so I've always liked Moldbug's description of the, the, the finance system. Um, you know, how do banks slash finance generate money? Teutonic banks are these sort of what he calls this Internet cult led by Mises, which are very sound banks with sound money. Um, um, generate money through interest. Now, you could be for or against interest. Um, you could be like David Graeber or some of those sort of left-wing Christians like Cornell West and liberation theology who argue that money is a kind of looting. Um, I think the general position in capitalism is interest is fine, and the, the reason that it is is time preference. I think that's probably, um, you know, if you, if you it's time plus plus surplus. So you have a surplus, you loan that surplus out, and the fee you get for loading these scarce goods out is called interest. Um, Again, so the topic of debate is not is interest good. We're just assuming interest is good. Now, the tricky thing is what we're, we're going to talk about is interest on through the financial system. Um, so this is I'm going to go back to Moldbug. This is an, again his Mazesian explanation of the financial crisis as well as his maturity transformation. You may know maturity transformation as fractional reserve banking, which is one common case of the practice. A financial institution practices MT whenever it borrows short and lends long i.e. promise to deliver money in the short term based on the fact that it is owed money in the long term. For example, in classical fractional reserve bank, which takes cheap checking deposits and uses them to fund mortgages, the bank promises to have a zero, a term of zero, your money is available whenever you want it, and its mortgages are repaid across, say, 30 years. A few of us have operated the bank. So now Moblek has this quick, like, I'm explain this real quick, this, this analogy of a bank, this it's like a three-person bank. Now, suppose you lend a friend of yours $1,000. He agrees to give that money back plus 50 for the interest next week. But that And that friend's named Bobby. But Bobby then, furthermore, um, goes uh, go, goes up to goes, uh, goes, goes to his friend of his, Dwight, and he rides up, and he's going to spend, you know, he's going he's gonna to make 1500 trying to score and then Moldbug makes up a, this sort of crazy story where he could get weed okay um, but but it was going to take three weeks so then the actor number two has to roll over the loan um, um, but they're going to do it for a longer interest now and, and so so eventually once the term passed everyone makes out um, all three parties benefit 
Um, but the, but this is a very dodgy process, and from the start, there's a sort of trick involved. Um, you know, it's a successful uh, a successful experience. Everyone profited, but technically, he could not get that thousand dollars out when he wanted to. You know, Bobby already loaned it out to Dwight. Um, um, so so in that regard, it was not a reserve. It was not available. Um, so so I think that sort of in a in a micro sense describes the macro sense. Um, of how the banks makes. So, so with him, you're somewhat interested in this and apparently knowledge about this. What do you make of Moldbook's description of the financial system and maturity uh, maturity transformation in itself? Swithin? I think Moldbook is correct that the um, entire system does, uh, at least currently, uh, rest on uh, maturity uh, transformation. The uh, classic example, as he, he mentioned, he always says it's just a form of this, um, is uh, fractional reserve banking, which you, you articulated um, accurately there. So it is all currently, or to a large extent, based on uh, borrowing short and lending long. The banking sector will borrow from uh, investors or people who are saving or basically just lending to the bank at a short period of time, maybe for a year, and then lend it up for 30 years. And consequently, then need either them to roll over the loan or, or if I want to take my thousand pound back, which the bank doesn't have because, uh, Tim, your mortgage hasn't been paid off yet. Uh, I need to get somebody else to come in to uh, invest into the bank so you can pay me off. So we do have um, a that is very much the essence of the financial uh, system as is currently uh, constituted. Now, whether or not his analogy to the uh, the system is like a nuclear reactor, uh, uh, whether it works all the time or not, uh, kind of begs the question to what extent uh, maturity mismatching or maturity transformation, it's the same thing, uh, is actually economically beneficial at all. Um, and there are multiple uh, views, which I'm sure we will get to on that. So I, I would say um, to a large extent, his description of the system is correct. So what so if the description, I, th I would generally agree that the description of the system is fairly strong. Um, what are the arguments um, Would the reactor, you know, this reactor, this sort of uh, this unstable reactor, uh, which which sort of blows up every 20 years um, or even longer, they can sort of push the can down the road. He uses a wad of duct tape analogy. Um, so most modern non-Austrian economists, including Hayek and Friedman, outside, of course, Marxists, which, uh, you know, and Hoppe points this out, um, they have a sort of kind of uh, kind of strange, there's a strange relationship um, um, uh, uh, between the two, or of the view that banks couldn't work without the straight popping, propping them up as a lender of last resort. Um, what do you make of Moldbug's analogy? Do you think uh, this sort of fractional reserve state system uh, could work? without the state propping it up. So then? Well, um, assuming for the moment that um, fractional reserve banking would be non-fraudulent and sort of uh, legitimate in that sense, um, would you have the same amount of uh, maturity transformation as you currently see? Uh, no, clearly not. It is highly risky. And um, having a, uh, a lender of last resort in the central bank of a central bank means that um, 
everything is a lot safer for the bank to uh, to engage in these sort of transformative practices. Uh, also, um, it, it allows not just lender of last resort, but it, it, it's a system whereby you can you can put money, pump money into systems, stop interest rates rising to make sure banks can easily and cheaply borrow, uh, not from the central bank necessarily, but rather just from other banks. Because in most cases, the banks don't want, well, banks do not want to borrow from the central bank because it, it basically puts a red dot on their head to say, look, we're in serious trouble. Uh, don't lend us anyone do business with us. So they don't want to do that. Um, but uh, by pumping, quote unquote, liquidity into the system, they can manipulate the interest rates and make it easy for the banks to maintain and pay their liabilities. Um, so you made a quantitative easing. Um, it's just a, a newer of a it's similar to what they traditionally do called open market operations when they buy and sell short term debt. The difference with QE was that they bought long term. But in both cases, they were buying government bonds and they are pumping money, new money into the system literally by typing into a computer um, so if you were to take sort of when it comes to sort of the, the sort of broadly Austrian view of uh, banking you can kind of um, identify three camps there's the fractional reserve free bankers such as uh, Larry White and George Selgin who are the most pro to the maturity mismatch uh, maturity transformation uh, but either be they would say, yeah, well, this isn't going to happen as much as you would have with a central bank because you have to um, absorb all the costs of the system. So that's going to it's not going to do it to the same extent it does today. You've got sort of like the middle position, which is held by um, Rothbard, Mises, uh, um, Philip Baggis, David Howden, who say that fractional reserve banking um is illegitimate um but maturity um transformation is legitimate and then um you have the position held by walter block uh a sort of quasi austrian called keith wiener who say that no 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 maturity mismatch is bad outright so there are kind of three broad positions that you on this in the sort of heterodox uh, views on things uh, but even the most even the system which would be most closely which would most closely resemble the current system held by Larry White and George Selgin even then they're not going to be able to maturity transform to the same extent as uh, they do currently. Um, uh, Moldbug brings up the baggage and bank um, um, it, you know it's just again it's not that wonderful there's a sort of like the idea of the bank that just has the money in a vault in there, which is clearly not the case. Um, so how how exactly did we get to this system? Um, um, so one of the things that the non the non um, fractional reserve bankers might uh, the the fractional reserve bankers might argue is that to certain extent all banking is a modern um, thing. Um, you know Walter Baggett Lombard Street. Um, so what exactly is the Baggett model? I mean you've asked um, is this is this fraudulent? Um, uh, to a certain extent, it depends on definition of fraud. Um, I don't think it's outright fraud, especially if it's defined correctly. So, so why, why exactly do banks do it? I mean, Mobug's description is, it, um, is it, it might increase credit. 
Now, maybe it increases credit, but does it increase credit through what is basically a form of a magic trick, or Volbell uses the, the idea of time travel? Uh, I think this is where the Misesians um, or, or originate the root of the crisis, if I understand correctly. Swithin, maybe you can elaborate on that. Okay, right. Now, we're going to have to distinguish between three camps um, to go any further. Um, so, um, maturity transformation in principle, even with fractional reserves, according to George Selgin and uh, Larry White, is um, is perfectly fine, even in the sort of a fractional reserve system. Uh, they would say that um, people who are depositing money uh, in uh, banks, uh, they know they're not keeping it there for safekeeping. They are lending it to them. And uh, effectively, their view is that um, people are saving in the banks they're lending to them, uh, but they're not really sure about, you know, when they'll need the money or not. And so the resources are kind of there to be invested. Um and the bank just needs to manage its risk appropriately to make sure that um, um, they can always pay the liabilities when they need to. But what the banking system does, it can convert uh, all these savings into funds for investment, which allows the economy to grow more than it otherwise would. Because there's more funds for investor investment, so interest rates will be lower, and so we can grow, and it's all going to be all going to be great. The middle position of Rothbard and Mises, etc., would state that no, um, when people deposit money in a bank, they do not think that they are lending to the bank, um, and additionally, um, fractional reserve banking amounts to creating more um more titles to property than actually do exist so they would say no 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 fractional reserve banking is bad now they say I'm not sure if Mises would say it was fraudulent Rothbard certainly said it would but the crucial economic argument here is this the problem is it effectively makes it look like there is more uh savings uh available for investment than actually exists because the view is if you put the money in and it's um, and it's just there in the vaults, this is there for safekeeping, um, then this is not there to be lent out. Also, um, with fractional reserves and you sort of um, keep £100 into account, they lend out 10% and um, – sorry, don't count that seat. You have £100 in the bank, you lend out 90%, you keep 10 Somebody else then spends 90 and then the recipient then puts it into a bank. There's a £90 goes in there. Well, what you're doing is you're pyramiding the amount of claims on the original £100 because there's really only still £100 in existence. Um, and so I can't really see an argument for the Selgin and White position. Um, now, I'll modify that statement in a second. Um, but if it is the case that the extension of credit effectively increases uh, the money supply by the banking sector, this basically creates um, false signals to the entrepreneur, reduces the interest rate, which means that longer term projects seem viable, which aren't. And it also, because there's an increase in the supply in credit, means that the entrepreneur thinks there is more funds for savings than, is, than are 
actually available. And so not only do you have the wrong type of investment, you have an over investment because the um, the projects which they thought were actually um, completable, uh, there's not enough resources to complete all of them. Uh, so that would be uh, the position held by the um, by sort of the Rothbardian position. Now, the final, the last position, which is, I think, sort of Moldbug's position to a large extent, and also that of Keith Wynne and Walter Block, they would say even um, maturity, oh no, um, mismatching is bad. Um, the argument being is Block and Wiener would say it's fraudulent, for one thing. You, If you borrow something for a year and lend it out for three years, you're basically claiming that you have title to the money for um, three years when in fact you only have it for one. On the economic analysis, the argument would be that, um, well, the preferences of consumers are such that they are only willing to give up give up resources to be invested for one year if they are lending for a year and not three. And so actually by engaging in maturity transformation, you have baked into the system a um, mismatch uh, between um, valuations of time and so sort of automatically manipulated the interest rate by doing that. And so this is going to cause a, mis uh, a miscoordination of um, resources. And so uh, that in, in itself is going to cause sort of like uh, a business, uh, a credit cycle in sort of the Austrian sense. Now, the response to this argument from the sort of middle school, the Rothbardians, or well, more particular, I think it was Philip, yeah, it was Philip Baggs and David Howden. They would claim that um, maturity transformation is a genuine loan, so that's fine. Also, they would say it wasn't, it's not fraudulent on the basis that in principle, maturity transformed uh, loans can in principle be paid off, whereas they can't do that with fractional uh, reserve sort of contracts because they're all due instantly whereas and so you can't everybody can't be be paid when they're legally uh, entitled to be paid on the fractional reserves because it's sort of an, an instant maturity um whereas if you lend money out if you, if you lend money for a year so if i lend you uh, tim money for a year and then you lend that for three years um you could get money within that um time period to pay me back but wasn't the money i lent to you and so since money is a fungible good it doesn't i don't unless i specify that i want that thousand pounds that i lent to you back then it doesn't matter which thousand pounds i'm paid back and on the economic beneficial argument is from howden and baggers is that it allows um projects to be started for which there are not uh fully backed savings for yet but that can, uh, can be started with the current level of savings and as savings are added uh, to the uh, the pool of, of banking to be lent out then the project can then be finished earlier than it otherwise would be able to because uh, rather than waiting for someone to have enough money to lend out for a certain amount of time to complete the project you can lend out less over a shorter time period and then wait for them to roll over other people to invest over time so that the, the project is able to be started earlier and finished earlier via um, maturity transformation. And obviously, uh, this is a position Selgin and White would agree with as well. Um, any questions so far, Tim, or is that reasonably clear? Yeah, 
Well, that's reasonably clear. I, w I, w I would I would like to ask and somewhat add a comment. Um, one of the problems with this system, and one of the things I think that is apparent, um, is that what you're explaining to me is in even the um the what you're explaining to me, and this is why I like the his his mold bugs explanation is the system looks um incredible. If you look at how a, bri a bridge or you know, if you look at a church, a 12th century church in like France, they're very well constructed and very well engineered, um, and they last a long time. They're, you know, they're very what Nassim Taleb would call anti-fragile almost. Um, maybe not anti-fragile, but they're definitely not fragile. And Moldbug points out how unstable the system is. And what you're describing to me is a kind of pyramid scream. It may increase output, um, but the to the extent is at what cost? And it seems very, it seems very uh, uh, dodgy. Like like one of the problems I have understanding it in a way is um, is is that that it's I would think it would have to it would, should be at least in theory um, operated under better terms and I actually think this is where the Marxists come in to a certain extent because you know this kind of this is what they this is what a lot of Austrians call crony capitalism in a way um so and actually Molbo himself says um there are no modern schools of economics which I believe as far as I know that government should print money and lend it. Which actually, if you brush away a lot of what they're doing, is it in a way is what they're functionally doing? Is that correct, Swithin? And is it correct that the system is very kind of fragile, Swithin? Oh, the system is very, very fragile. I mean, one thing when you said lending money, um, we basically have a debt-based system, uh, which is essentially that most of the money that comes into existence has been lent into existence. Uh, why is that? Because most of the money comes in, as I mentioned before, by like open market operations, in which the central bank buys government bonds. Uh, well, the bond, the bond is a debt. So once the debt's retired, the money supply decreases. And this is one of the bizarre aspects of the system. When you pay back debt, the money supply goes down until the banks decide to relend it out. So it's an incredibly volatile system um, as it's as it's currently constituted. Um, so in, in, a, in a free market as to you know, how it how it what it would look like, you know, would they operate sort of fractional reserves? I mean, the, the position I would take is um, I think fractional reserve banking as understood that, well, you're putting the money down and it's there for safekeeping and it's not going to be lent out. And but then you do lend it out. Well, that's clearly fraudulent. That said, could you lend money at uh, at a for an indefinite time period which you call at any point but the the banks say well yeah in most cases we'll probably be able to um we will probably be able to complete that deal but sometimes we might not be able to that's perfectly fine but i think in a free market system that'd be very clearly distinguished from safekeeping because it isn't today there is no real distinction in the modern banking system between actual savings as in like plain savings as in this is money just stays here and you make sure it's not nicked from actually lending it. i mean I, I i teach economics nobody really knows that when you put in money into a bank you're basically lending to the bank everyone goes yeah that sounds a bit weird but that's essentially what you're doing so people do, do not know this and i think that's probably deliberate uh in part by the uh, banking system and the government um so maturity transformation, I think, yeah, is possible. I think it is risky, um, as is um, as is um, sort of having core um, lending for an indefinite time period. That is also risky, and you would 
but in a free market system, I think the interest rates would uh, better reflect the um, the risk involved. Um, so, um, in a way, I, I now there's all the counterbalances to this. Like, a hundred percent reserve deposit is the least risky. Obviously, you have to pay for that to for them to look after it. Uh, a maturity match time deposit, like I lend out for two years and the bank lends out for two years, you would expect um, to be get a relatively safe, like a low interest rate on that to some extent, uh, because it's quite um, it's safe. You know, um, so uh, Walter Block makes a distinction between credit risk and liquidity risk, uh, and he says you in transactions you only have credit risk because someone might always default, but uh, you if you maturity match your uh lending as a bank you won't have uh liquidity risk because you're not baking in the fact that your liabilities are going to come up earlier than your assets are going to mature because they're matched in time you know you you borrow for two years and you lend for two years and so in that sense you know you you would expect that if you have a maturity match time deposit you know that would have a, like a relatively uh low interest rate uh again it could be a safe return if you're going to engage and you're going to lend to the bank you know it's going to be maturity mismatched well you might think you want to have a higher interest rate for that because uh the bank is um engaging a riskier practice I and mean, then obviously um uh, fractional reserve banking is the riskiest of them all and so instead of a situation we have now whereby um these practices seem very very cheap for, for banks to take place for like fractional reserves and maturity mismatching if you know this as someone who's in, who's in lending to the bank, I think you now there are other counterfailing forces as well. But I think in a free market system, the uh, interest rates are going to better reflect the risk that the bank is taking on, which it doesn't because of the money monopoly and the um, central bank. Um, so that would be my position. I think in principle, fractional reserve banking, if you understand a particular way, isn't necessarily fraudulent, but it is the most risky practice of any of the uh maturity transformation practices the money monopoly point is my next uh, follow-up point in question i i don't think that any of this current system and i think you would agree that this was some my question some of my statement um i don't think the current system could exist without the government's money money uh monopoly or 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 in particular it's money printing monopoly if any uh, if any individual would engage in this behavior be be known as counterfeit um, next, interesting. That's what that's what technically George Floyd was doing is putting twenty dollar bills off his uh, printer, and buying cigarettes with it. Um, so interestingly, if anyone, um, um, uh, if any individual did this at a large scale, it would the whole thing would 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 clearly collapse. I would love to pay my taxes in that. Um, um, so and actually, there's certain historical events I think that have to uh, be. Uh, uh, brought up like now the British did this in the Napoleonic Wars from my understanding uh, they closed the gold exchange because uh, one of the quickest things you could do is you could just put your money into more secure things uh, which is like gold uh, or silver or sort of real things and for various times I think under FDR um, certain uh, you couldn't own gold after you could own jewelry or things like that but you know a certain amount couldn't be owned and then of course they put they had these you know, these deposit tickets, you know, the gold's hard to carry, uh, so you just put it in the vault. Um, so if you can sort of further elaborate on this, um, because I, I I think the system, the, the whole aspect of printing money couldn't exactly exist. Now, there are benefits to having mon paper money in the sense it's more convenient. 
um, it's very liquid, you know, and you could walk into a store, they'd accept that you don't need to barter the double coincidence and once problem, blah, blah, blah. Um, but there's also a negative side, and that that is the 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 money, and actually I think the MNT is to a certain extent explain it correctly, whether they have the correct solutions and everything is unclear. But it seems like government force has played a huge role in propping up the you know system, as well as keeping other people from the engaging in printing of this these currencies and people like Charles de Gaulle showed up with the French Navy once to to redeem all their francs for um, um, the gold in the vault um, um, so you know if everyone did that you know after Bretton Woods it probably could not happen so what do you make of my sort of historical description of how we got here any areas of agreement or disagreement or further elaboration um, your position is, is is broadly correct. I mean, I, mean, I don't think anyone would disagree that you have uh, like an evolution from commodity money to uh, paper money, where originally paper receipts were to represent the amount of gold in or silver uh, in in vaults, and then uh, th they were traded instead of the gold and silver, and then there was various decoupling from um, from gold and and silver. Um, the de Gaulle one I think you're referring to is, is the last sort of vestige of the world gold standard, which was gone off in 1971 by Richard Nixon uh, under the gold exchange standard the Bretton Woods. Um, foreign central banks could redeem their dollars at um, the uh, Federal Reserve for gold. Um, and this was sort of like a. It was all based on the Americans um, uh, being trustworthy and paying paying the central banks. Um, I, I, I believe they threatened. I think the, the, the Nixon said, well, look, uh, you can take the gold, but if you do, we won't defend you against the Russians. Which I believe that then the uh, French said, we'll just have the gold, please. And I think that was the point at which Nixon closed the gold window. So why is it the case that the government likes it? Well, because um, the money monopoly helps them fund wars and spending more easily. Um, the. The reason the Bank of England came into existence in 1694 uh, was to fund the war with France. Um, and actually, I think it was the Dutch who were one of the earliest pioneers of uh, uh, magic banking um, because uh, Britain was very influenced by the Dutch after the we basically got a Dutchman as king uh, in uh, William the of orange uh, with William the third. Um, so yes, the, the government does benefit from this hugely. I think this is the, the thing you're referring to the MNT is if you have a sovereign, well, they claim you have a sovereign uh, monetary issuer, um, they can uh, deficits and debts aren't really a problem because they can inflate their way out of them, which is true. Um, but no one ever really denied. I mean, the MNTs are annoying because they make statements to which almost nobody had ever disagreed with at all. It's like, well, yeah, of course, of course, you know, the um, the American government need never default on its debts. Well, why is that? Well, because they can issue new ones in the Federal Reserve and buy them directly so they can use this money to then pay off all their old debts. Like as long as it's denominated in, in dollars, it's not a problem. Uh, the two issues arise, one which is, well, you get price inflation if you keep doing that. And, um, and secondly, just issuing more and more debt doesn't mean anyone's ever 
um, and give given spending that is um, based on debt doesn't mean anyone's any better off. It's you know you're just uh, transferring real resources from the private sector to the government. Um, but um, the government likes the money monopoly and the system and basically inflation uh, because they can tax without it looking like they're taxing people. If you had to tax, and this is why Britain goes off uh, the gold standard in Napoleonic Wars, if you had to fund a major war via taxation, it wouldn't last very long because everybody would, well, a lot of people would revolt because you would see that uh, the taxation was incredibly expensive and not really worth your money. Uh, whereas if you inflate instead, uh, the value of your assets go down, you don't really notice it in the same way. Uh, now, obviously, if you had competing currencies and one of them inflated, it'd be quite obvious that uh, that one was losing value relative to uh, a currency it wasn't inflating. People would switch over. Hence, things like legal tender laws. Oh, and also worldwide, they, they try to get central banks to coordinate their inflationary activity because it would look very anomalous. I mean, even though it was relatively coordinated, the Germans had a bad reputation from other central banks because the Deutschmark was relatively strong which, of course, made them look bad. Um, but um, coordinating uh, money printing around the world makes it look less bad. Unless, of course, you get to sort of Venezuelan and Argentinian situations, and they clearly do. Um, but that's the reason uh, why governments like the money monopoly in the banking sector as it's currently constituted, um, because it allows them to... Um, spend very cheaply and expand uh, the bureaucracy, etc., without having explicit to increase taxes. That's why. You, you've made the comment about real resources, um, chasing after real resources. I mean, that that's one of the things that sort of gets lost here. You know, it doesn't really, it doesn't really make anyone better off. Um, um, it just sort of, uh, 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 just sort of it diverts resources to the government, or worse, you know, or worse still, it 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 takes productive resources and gives them to the government. Um. So, uh, what do you make? We've sort of touched on this. What do you, so? Do you think for, for in a in a sort of air quote in Capistan, would uh would free market uh, would free market fractional reserve banking exist? Uh, my my guess is not to the degree it does, and it seems like the the to Selden and White. Um, the, even admit that uh, uh, that it would not exist to the extent that it does. Um, and then second of all, you've also touched this. Show, I just want to sort of straight answer. Um, you know, in your position, is it is it fraud? I mean, Walter Block. Now, Walter Block is such a good you know philosopher and economist. I'd argue he sometimes it's hard to tell if he supports something or doesn't support something. But the, the example I've always is the 103 the 100 seat airline example. Uh, this is an example I've always uh, of uh, uh, thought was. Um, you know, if you, if you or the parking lot, you have a parking lot, you have a hundred seat, hundred spots. You just buy the right to a spot. If you think about that with the um, fractional reserve banking, um, you know, if everyone, if everyone, if everyone wanted to redeem their their in their checking accounts all at the same time, the bank of course would collapse. If everyone did that, um, if everyone did that simultaneously, you'd go to bank front and no one could withdraw them. So, so you know, and this sort of happens with um, parking lots. But so you can assume that's a rare event. Um, um, and that won't happen. Um, um, you know, what are, what are some arguments in favor of it? It does increase productivity to a certain extent, 
uh, uh, then, um, but, but, but what, what do you make of, well, what's your own position on uh, fractional reserve banks and their relative um, fraudulence with them? Um, so, uh, so to repeat what I, I said before, if uh, you say that you're going to keep the money and you won't lend it out and it's going to be kept 100% and then you lend it out, that's clearly fraudulent. Uh, that said, can you lend out to a, to a bank uh, for an indefinite time period with the provisor that you know, that the bank knows that, well, they won't necessarily be able to pay you back because they're lending it for an indefinite time period? Well, is that OK? Yes. Now, do I think that many people will engage in that? Well, I'm not sure. Um, but what wouldn't happen is a situation where you... Um, increase the amount of money titles relative to the money that exists i think that would definitely be verboten uh in a free market system so uh, i i am dubious of the selgin and white position the way they argue for sort of like an increase in what well, the credit or fiduciary media over and above uh deposits in a fractional reserve free banking manner i think that just is nonsensical um I can see lending for a zero time period and lending that out in total and that being considered an asset of the bank for until um, the uh, lender calls it back. Um, but there should in Ankapistan, there'll be no multiplications of property titles to the amount of property that actually exists. So that would not happen. Two blocks argument with respect to uh, the 100 seat airlines having 103 seats. Again, same with I said before, it's all about clear contracts. Are when you're selling an airline seat, are you selling them the uh, possibility of getting a seat, or is it definitely 100% um, a, a seat you should guarantee to get there if, if you get there on time? Um, that's what it kind of um, depends on. And I think now as well, I think airlines do have asterisks in their um, contracts. Say, you know, if it happens to be overbooked at the time, we'll like compensate you a bit and you can go on the next airline. Because, I mean, what tends to happen here is if when I was flying back from New Orleans, actually, after meeting Walter Block, interestingly, um, there was a call saying, oh, no, if anyone is willing to take the next flight, we'll pay you like $300 in credit or for, for the airline or something, because they clearly there was more people here than they thought would turn up. So that's perfectly fine. Uh, the, the, the big question is, is it's about clear contracts. And I think it clear that in the current regime, there is not clear contracts. This is why people get very angry about banks uh, when they have bank runs because they think their money has been kept in vaults and it clearly isn't. Now, you could argue to some extent and that's the stupidity of, um, of of the depositors. But really, when you're having um, a contract, there needs to be a meeting of minds. And it seems clear in the case of modern banking that that simply doesn't take place. I mean, the banking system is incredibly complicated. And I mean, I have a decent, I have a much better understanding than most people, but I'm far from an expert on the entire thing. Some of the sort of financial packages and how they do that, I don't know. So um, if I'm one that I'm not entirely sure how something works, someone, just an average man on the street, isn't going to. Um, so 
fractional reserve banking as we're keeping the money, but we're lending it. No, it's fraudulent. It wouldn't happen. There'd be no uh, multiplication of property titles to property. Um, and as I say, uh, any maturity mismatching and transformation probably would take place to some extent. But I think uh, it'd be significantly curtailed relative to the uh, current banking system. Moldbug, you, you, you hit at the complexity of the system, um, and Moldbug's, Moldbug's interesting solution um, is to nationalize, uh, uh, Moldbug's solution is basically to nationalize the banks, which almost sounds like a Marxist move. And I, I've already pointed out at the uh, relative similarity uh, between, um, um, relative similarity between uh, the sort of certain aspects of pure Marxian and pure Austrian thought. Um, in the sense that 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 that, that you know, if you describe the sort of current capitalist system, and he 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 says that you know it's it's complex, and he opens his article say you may not be interested in war, uh, but you know war is interested you. And you could also say finance is interested you. Um, you know, again, actually, they're as you pointed out, they're very much interrelated here. Um, um, uh, you know, the the you know, and, and here in the United States, but also in Britain and all other countries tied to the United States. You know, there's a clear relationship between like pension liabilities and printing money. Uh, you know, I think I I don't think I don't think the United States government could be uh, solvent in a way if it didn't if it didn't in a way air quote print money. Now I might be using the word improperly. They could be buying uh, buying bonds of some variety and giving them out to banks and so forth. A more complicated system. But to me, the complicated system is just sort of a, a smoke and mirrors um, to make it look like it's sound when it's not really sound. Uh, um, and actually, Moldbug does point out like all the, you know, the, the various uh, things uh, here that, that that problem. So Moldbug ends up coming up with the solution of 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 nationalizing, which is sort of an anti-Austrian uh, solution. Uh, what, what's your what's your view on on this? Um, now, I mean, he says the proximate cause of the bank crisis again is the gigantic vote buying machine um, known as Democratic Party here in the United States. Um, and again, in other countries, the same thing uh, basically happens. Although the U.S. does have a kind of privilege system, although it, it has to pay for getting that privilege system by spending a lot on its military. So in a way, that somewhat cancels out. Um, but uh, uh, oh, what do you make of his um, – uh, what do you make of his, you know, air quote, solution? And what would be the Austrian solution? You've sort of hit at the free market aspects of it. Swithin? Okay. Um in a way, I, I, I Moldbug is, well, is certainly honest. His solution is certainly an honest one. And I think it actually sort of reflects to a large extent um, the way the system actually works. But it's up front about, the, well, the, yes, it is basically a state-run system. Uh, and I think you can easily make that argument from at least 1933 in England when we went off the gold standard for the last time. Interestingly, that was uh, Winston Churchill's fault. Um, so I understand why he would do that and, and put them all together. Um, although Moldbug does make the case, say that yeah, this is sort of like a suboptimal position, a free market position would be a good one to get to. But he argues that uh, we can't. Moldbug's argument as to why we can't do it is um, if we basically let the banking sector collapse, he, he says you get a massive deflation which is true because I mentioned before, you know, as the debt's paid off or it's defaulted on the, you know, the credit, the credit supply contracts. And so the effective money supply contracts at the same time. Oh, actually, even even money supply does when it ultimately pay off government bonds. Uh, the 
the distinction here is that the central bank can literally create money into existence, whereas um, the commercial banks only pyramid the lending. So they can, so commercial banks only create credit, whereas the central bank can actually create money. But because the money is used to buy government bonds, when they are paid back, the money supply does go down. So um, when you get defaults or you get paying off debts, you know, you're going on a massive scale, you're going to get a collapsing credit supply, which functions basically as money and, and, and also the money supply proper. And so he says, oh, we're going to get a deflationary uh, spiral. Everyone's going to default on their um, on their loans and it's going to be an utter meltdown. And uh, I think he argues he's just creating like some warlike situation which we want to avoid. Um, I don't actually think that would necessarily take place if it was the case that um, the government was to say, look, we aren't going to print any more money. We're basically keeping the monetary base um, stable. And this is going to instigate price deflation. Then there's no reason why you can not just negotiate the debt contracts to go. Well, actually, well, I'm supposed to pay you a thousand pounds in a year. Oh, I know that a thousand pounds now are worth a lot more than we thought it was going to be because prices have gone down. So the purchasing power is higher. So just pay me 950 instead. I don't see why that couldn't happen, um, especially if it was um, if it was known ahead of time. Um, but as to the actual Austrian solution, again, um, there isn't a single Austrian solution. Um, Mises, uh, I'm less familiar with the exact details of Mises' proposal. Mises at one point had the proposal of saying that any new government's um lending would have to be backed by gold and um it would be a way of moving uh, them off fiat and onto gold i don't remember the precise details of it uh rothbard has the idea of basically no banks need to have 100 percent reserves and then what we do once that happens we then divide the um the American money supply by the gold holding in uh, the Federal Reserve and then define um, the dollar in terms of the gold stock, which would, at my last count, put gold at like, I think it was something like $20,000 an ounce or something like that, which is much higher than its current market rate, I think of about three or $4,000 um, an ounce. Uh, so that was Rothbard's um, solution. Um, you have Keith Wiener's solution, which is the government needs to start issuing gold. It needs to retire. So Wiener is concerned with the stuff that Moldberg is about uh, having debt deflation. Wiener argues for the government to issue uh, gold bonds in which they pay a return in gold, not just in dollars. And uh, the only way you could buy these was by selling other old paper bonds that the government had already issued. Um, and this is a way of trying to get gold to circulate again. Uh, and related to this, he would want to abolish um, capital gains taxes on gold and silver to allow metals to become uh, money again. Um, getting rid of capital gains and, um, and other sort of taxes and legal tender are generally the hallmarks of many Austrian ones to try and get metals back into circulation. Um, I don't know if anyone holds this exactly, but I've heard it argued. Basically, the Austrian solution is to just um, 
abolished the Fed, or central banks and uh, legal tender laws, etc., and just see where the the chips fall. There's no necessary reason to try to jumpstart it back onto gold. Um, my view um, on that is, whilst it seems to be the simplest solution to just um, abolish capital gains taxes on gold and silver and legal tender, uh, etc., you still always have the problem that if the government wants to demand its taxes in um, in its own currency, then everyone's going to use it because a much higher demand because you need it to pay taxes in, which is where the sort of uh, gold standard return arguments from Rothbard seem to make sense. But again, the whole issue, though, with monetary reform is whether they would actually go ahead with anything at all. I mean, um, you can say ideally we should do X, Y or Z, uh, but in reality, you have to tie that with a, an overall strategic um, vision, which is sort of going to be significantly more radical than just, well, although I can't really think of anything more radical than actually changing the uh, monetary system as it currently is constituted. Um, that's, but I mean, if you were to get rid of the um, legal tender laws, etc., yeah, maybe the government would be able to print new money, which of course would be good. The central bank, no, the commercial banks could pyramid the lending, which still wouldn't be great, but better than we'd have. So, so it, it would be better. Uh, and of course, you could get alternative currencies coming in, Bitcoin or other um, Ethereum or Dogecoin. Uh, to replace it. Um, but the concern is with uh, that, as I said, is that you might end up just maintaining the paper monopoly, even without central banking, because they're going to demand their tax to be paid in it. Uh, one point interesting with the Keith Wiener solution for the gold bond was to allow um, the gold mines to pay his taxes in gold, um, just as a way of sort of trying to circumvent uh, this. Um, so, those are the kind of grab bag. Of, I'm sure there are other systems that I'm unaware of. Uh, but Mobug is correct that getting to where we want to be is not straightforward. Um, but get, starting from scratch is fine. That's, that's, that's easy. But getting to there is, um, is, is, is difficult. As to the one I would advocate, mm, Obviously, abolish legal tender, obviously uh, get rid of the f uh, central banking, um, have um, clear, require clear contracts uh, in the uh, banking sector. But as to um, whether you should go on to a gold standard prior to that to get the link back to gold, uh, I'm unsure. Uh, my intuition is, is possibly to go to the Rothbardian one. That would incur a massive increase in the gold price. You'd have a massive gold influxes. Mobile phones have become significantly more expensive because they do use gold, and there are some sort of industrial usages of it. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm tempted to, to use the classic Rothbardian response, which is so what? Um, if you can get back to a jumpstart it back onto uh, uh, commodity money, uh, then that's probably a good thing. And, and of course, that means if the government wants the taxes in it, that's that's gold again, so that's fine. Um, 
I would note at this point, I do think if you had a sort of free market in money, I don't think you would just have gold. I think you probably have gold, silver and copper uh, circulating concurrently, uh, which you actually did in the even certain parts of the 18th century in England. Uh, but that's not, that's another topic. So in short, uh, there is no single Austrian solution. There are lots of them um, and they all have their problems. There's no single Austrian solution, um, and, and I think Moldbug himself ends his article saying that we'll just sort of plot plot along at uh, with this sort of broken system, um, and and it is a kind of Soviet system uh, uh, in the sense that it's not socialism proper. I think I think in one of the um, Neil Ferguson has seen to have interestingly had an interesting discussion at one point, and he said that the Soviet system was marked by Stamo cap, which is state monopoly capitalism. So in a certain way, we we we've have we've had a sort of light version of that, maybe not a direct version. And in some ways, we the United States has run it up to a certain extent better, uh, 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 because we we do, you know, once the money's out in the system, we do in a way have a fairly, you know, the market for restaurants and real goods does exist. There is a real market with money's chasing real goods out there. It's not a total. Uh, it's not a total sham economy. Um, um, and so, so what would be the best argument um, in favor of, of 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 getting away from this system? Um, you know, you have the sort of, I mean, the one argument is the bust, so to speak. Um, and, and you do get actual busts, like say you this, you thought this land was going to be really productive. Let's say there's oil in there, but it turns out there's land isn't there. So what what is exactly the argument in favor of getting out of this system? Um, I mean, for one thing, it might cut down a number of wars. You know, that, that that's 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 actually for many people that might be a benefit. Uh, if you're a neoconservative or hawkish liberal, it might actually be a bug. Um, um, but th- it would create sound money. And actually, all the Bitcoin people, you know, they want, uh, you know, they, they point to, you know, how, you know, in late 1800s you got a rise of prosperity like no one saw. You can't make a direct monocausal explanation to say that was the gold standard, but you know if you look where, where we had when, when the sound money reigns or somewhat semi-sound money reigns, it seems like it's, it, it rewards time preference, rewards savings and productivity. You know, is, are those the general arguments in favor of going to a more sound system, Swither? Certainly, it would curtail government spending. The government would need to be smaller because it wouldn't be able to get away with the taxation levels as it as it did. Um, it would create a pr- profound change in culture, uh, the consumer culture, where buy now, pay later system would cease to exist. The credit, the actual genuine credit supply, is much lower than the banking system would uh, indicate, and I think it highly unlikely that consumers would be able to outbid entrepreneurs when it comes to uh, borrowing money. Why borrow money that you're not going to get a return on? It just seems intuitively odd. And that would probably, I think, be the case in a much more credit constrained uh, system, which a um, a free, um, free market in uh, money and banking would have. And so to all the sort of... Um, the anti-consumerists on the left, um, their biggest friend would be a free market banking system, because especially on the Christian left, oh no, people are uh, are are spending in all their their money on consumer goods and uh, all this frivolity, etc. Well, 
why can they afford to do this and why is everyone in a position of like buy now um pay later because we have had a consistently inflationary uh system since the, the post-war period which means that uh, it encourages spending and um dis- discourages saving so it encourages spending discourages saving uh so i i think you it would instigate a profound cultural um, change. Um, as to exactly how that would pan out isn't obvious, but certainly people buying on credit cards wouldn't happen. Just, just don't see it happening. Um, would people even borrow to buy houses? Maybe. Um, but I think there may be other methods of doing it which shouldn't require borrowing. Um, but I think you're going to be having much more equity, ownership base, significant less debt, far more stable. Um, you're not going to get the asset bubbles that you get at the moment. I mean, uh, the financialization of life wouldn't take place in the same way uh, because all these derivative things and all these crazy um, financial uh, packages are based on sort of a constant flow of, of money, uh, of newly created money um and sort of you again the financial sector wouldn't be a system which exists for its own benefit but would be one which existed to benefit um to grease the wheels of the real economy rather than uh, be there for its own sake uh, so again I, I think related to that you'd have less resources devoted to finance uh in uh, jobs etc and a bit more in the um as it were, the real economy. Uh, just now, I'd like to thank everyone for listening. If you've enjoyed this, please share it with your friends and family so they can uh, enjoy the content. And please subscribe to us on YouTube and on Podbean. The more subscribers we get, the higher we get in the um, in the rankings and um, the more likely people are going to find us. And if you'd like to contact us uh, for any reason, any ideas for new shows or just general comments, Please contact us at mindcrimelibertyshow at gmail.com. That's mindcrimelibertyshow at gmail.com.